Hey there, folks. Is NVIDIA printing money on silicon? What impact will that have on the rest of the tech sector? I'm Aaron Young. Let's find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. And of course, great to be with you wherever you're joining us from. Also on Ticker Today, we're keeping an eye on Japanese stocks now aiming for the 40,000 milestone. But first... Right, so in a time of financial milestones, NVIDIA's exceptional results have pushed Wall Street to record highs over recent weeks. Japanese stocks surging to unprecedented levels as well, eyeing an historic 40,000 benchmark. For more, we're joined by Kyle Rotter from Capital.com. Kyle, great to see you. Uh, many analysts out there saying it's like printing silicon over at NVIDIA at the moment. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, if you look at the last three or four quarters of results, especially since, you know, the AI boom um, sort of descended upon the market, uh, consistently beating expectations and revising the outlook higher. So the results that we got last week was a resounding beat on both the top and the bottom line, a quintupling of uh, profits from a year earlier and almost tripling of revenues. And probably the best element of the result was an upgrade to guidance for the first quarter of the company's fiscal year, um, you know, effectively guiding for revenues of around $24 billion for that period, which beat the street by about $3 billion. So consistently executing on effectively the company's strategy and also taking advantage of its very, very special market position uh, as this AI boom gets underway. There was a few blemishes on the results that raised some concerns, especially around uh, scaling up production for those China compliant chips, which had to be um, effectively engineered to be able to get around uh, trade sanctions imposed by the US on China. So there's a question mark around future earnings and the growth potential of the company. But if you look right across the market now, it's effectively having this effect, uh, it's having this effect, I should say, of creating this, again, AI kind of hysteria in the market um, and you know areas of the market, which in principle aren't even uh, really all that related to the fundamentals of uh, the AI boom or, or chips uh, in particular, uh, are being lifted again, just by the sentiment impacts from, from this company's results. So incredibly positive and effectively it was the catalyst for Wall Street's record highs last week. Um, and it's just making this very, very bullish, maybe a little bit of exp an expensive market now as a result, but still a very bullish market nevertheless. It is an extraordinary result and at one stage hitting $2 trillion valuation club as well, more than Australia's GDP, uh, as some have pointed out too. Will it last for NVIDIA or an AI bubble we've seen over the past few months? There's certainly signs of irrational exuberance in the market to obviously uh, borrow a, a famous uh, phrase from, from, from Alan Greenspan. And if you do look at some of the multiples this company is trading on, it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, going into the results last week, it's actually improved, improved a little bit by virtue of the company's better than expected um, uh, financial, financial performance for that quarter. But you're looking at price to sales, so not even price to earnings, but price to sales for around 40 to one, which is effectively to say that you're paying $40 uh, for every one dollar of sales that the company generates that's a very very lofty valuation especially that like you said is already worth around two trillion dollars so for investors if you're buying into this company you have to ask am i getting a good deal on the basis of risk or reward uh, or is this perhaps a little bit rich to be paying for even you know one of the highest quality strongest growing companies in the world with effectively total market dominance uh, when it comes to you know uh, its, its its market um and you know being really at the forefront of this ai boom so short answer is is that you know 
the company could continue to increase in, in, in value in, in the short term. But if you're an investor, especially a long-term investor, do things look a little rich here in terms of what you'd be paying for, for, for the company? Without a doubt. And that might be indicative, again, of a little bit of irrational exuberance across the market right now. But there's no sign of it ending, right? So over the past year, we've seen a doubling of uh, uh, in terms of the $60 billion in terms of turnover at the company. Extraordinary, you know, to double at that point. And AI only seems to be ramping up with products from uh, OpenAI, for example, and ChatGPT's owners moving into video. That means that the requirement for the power on chips will only go through the roof. Yeah, and that's that's the bull case for, for, for the uh, company at the moment. And I guess the, the difficulty is, is that no one can really pin down with a, a firm number, of course, because it's at the best of times very difficult to predict, but we're also in a bit of an unprecedented period with very new technology. You know, how big this market is going to be, how, you know, um, because effectively what we're talking about is just a pr productivity boom generated by artificial intelligence. You know, how much that, uh, what the extent of that is and how it's going to contribute to, to, to growth going forward. So, you know, there is this uh, attitude that maybe the sky's the limit because of the power of AI. Um, but again, when you start to talk about those sorts of narratives, especially with financial metrics, uh, and I should say multiple so, so stretch, you do get that kind of feeling in your stomach that maybe this is getting a little bit uh, over the top. Um, but again, we're talking about a company that is delivering on on um, its performance metrics, actually doing better than the market expects. So, you know, at least in the, in the here and now, it's sort of just justifies at least that lofty valuation. It just just becomes a, a question for individual investors as to whether you want to take, if, if the risk and reward is attractive. Um, and that's probably slightly subjective by, by, by yeah. nature anyway. Well, the long-term view is really interesting. It's probably not a bad bet, but long-term. Talk, talk about the impact that NVIDIA's results are having on the rest of the tech sector. We know that of course, uh, a huge fan on Wall Street uh, and from many of us is now looking at AI themselves. Tim Cook rather cryptically suggesting that the updates to macOS and iOS this year, later on this year, will be the biggest that we've seen and will definitely be involving AI. We're even hearing that Siri may be turfed and a new version of Siri using AI will be brought. Is this because of open AI? Is it because of the direction of the market or is it because of NVIDIA? Well, I mean, it, it all plays into the same story. And I think the reason why NVIDIA's impacts did have that kind of broad-based um, uh, impact on the market to some extent, some of it, again, is just irrational exuberance, you know, companies that wouldn't have risen on the day, um, you know, uh, if, if it weren't for, for, for these results um, and had very little relation to AI, it's still did. It was a very big, broad-based rally on Thursday after uh, NVIDIA's numbers. But, I mean, it is being treated as a canary in the coal mine and, and being, you know, very much um, at the front of, obviously, supply chains and, and a bit of a, a barometer for, you know, the success and growth of, of AI um, overall. So, I mean, if you look a little bit further down that kind of supply chain, which, you know, we're sort of closer to the end user, the consumer consumer product, which is effectively some of these, you know, Magnificent Six, because we've taken tests right now after their bad results, these Magnificent Six stocks, uh, which are, you know, comprised of like Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, um, yeah, Apple, all, all these different companies. They're the ones that are actually trying to integrate AI into their product and as well are starting to see some pretty uh, strong success in, uh, in that part of their business as well. Effectively, if you just look at their cloud services businesses, it looks like they're actually executing on this um, and, and, and turning this into, into true profitability. On, on the macro side of things as well, if you look at actually US productivity over the last few quarters, it's booming. And we don't know why that is exactly at the moment, but there could be a very large element that AI is already being integrated into our economies and already delivering the, uh, the economic impacts and therefore the uh, profit impacts on some of these companies that are, are delivering these products. So again, it's just so difficult to 
to tell where we are at the, at, at the moment in, in terms of this, this kind of trend. You can kind of compare it to the internet where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we knew it was going to be a big thing. It was going to change the economy. We just couldn't quite put a number on how significant it would be. At the moment, the markets seem to be estimating just the best of all possible worlds, but it's not without some level of evidence because these companies that are uh, AI sensitive and are delivering these products are actually executing at the moment. Um, and it has so far been beneficial to investors uh, and, and valuations and, and obviously as a result, the, the broader market as well. All right, let's talk about what's happening in Japan. We often speak about China and the markets in China being pretty soft, uh, to say the least. But the opposite happening across the pond in Japan, stocks aiming, uh, look like they're going to hit the 40,000 milestone. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, Japan's equities hit record highs last week. And, and, and as you said, we're eyeing off 40,000, which would be a milestone in and of itself. And, you know, obviously to put that into context, you know, the Nikkei hasn't hit a record high since 1989. Um, so we're talking about a market that is just completely resurgent. And there's a few factors behind that. And I'll start with the China element as well, because a part is probably money coming out of China and needing to find a new home, maybe with some kind of indirect exposure to China. And Japan is obviously uh, one of those trades, as well as, you know, if you look at Vietnam, India, all those sorts of things. There's that element to the story. But the other part of what's going on in Japan at the moment is that you've almost got this kind of extraordinary perfect mix of economic fundamentals where the yen is depreciating um, because of a strong US dollar and resilient global growth. You've got less bond market volatility um, because of uh, the perception that the interest rate hiking cycle across the globe is ending and that maybe um, the, the Bank of Japan won't need to tighten policy, that it's effectively got these conditions of almost Goldilocks. And there's another thing that happened that was very unique to Japan last year too, which was corporate governance changes uh, for its uh, for the Japanese stock exchange, which was effectively to say to companies, hey, you've been running really lazy balance sheets for a really long time. If you've got a price to book ratio below one, and even if you don't, you've got to tell us why and uh, what you're going to do to be able to uh, uh, reverse that trend, which is effectively to say, how are you going to put, take, get your assets working harder to deliver stronger growth? And this has led to multiple expansion. And then again, on top of that, with the strong fundamentals, outflows and a little bit of momentum, Japanese stocks are one of the best performing markets of, 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 of the last sort of 12 months or so. So it's a, it's a very much a Goldilocks situation. It's, it's almost a perfect storm, so to speak, for Japanese equities. But again, um, everyone wants a piece of Japan at the moment, which stands into contrast you know, from any basically period in the last three or four decades, effectively after the, 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 the Japanese asset bubble in the 1980s. Yeah, the Chinese, no doubt, loving this. Um, talk to us about what's happening in New Zealand, of course, the Reserve Bank meeting the speculation regarding potential rate hike, also the implications for the market. We often look at what's happening in Australia, the UK, uh, China and the United States, obviously, but New Zealand often um, goes in a different direction. What are they up to? Well, this, this is the thing with New Zealand is that, one, they're, they're often pretty mercurial in their policy making and they're less uh, encumbered by some of the bigger issues that, you know, like a European Central Bank or a US Federal Reserve would confront because they're so systemically important. They can't be pulling the wool over the, the market's eyes or doing any big surprises without telling us first. Um, so the RBNZ tends to just, you know, basically react to policy fundamentals without having to worry about those other risks. But they're often seen as, to use a cliche again, uh, in a different context, a canary in the coal mine for global central banks, which is... They moved first when it came to interest rate hikes uh, at the uh, start of the last hiking cycle. Uh, they started to flag and enter rate hikes sooner than everyone else. But now over the last few weeks, we've actually seen some resilient data in New Zealand and progressively the markets have gone to pricing in an enter rate hikes and maybe even rate cuts this year to pricing in at least at this meeting somewhere around or at least the next few meetings somewhere around a, a, a 
you know, two thirds chance that we'll see another interest rate hike again from the RBNZ, uh, which raises two questions. One, will they actually do it? Are they going to sort of pivot with their language once again and sort of surprise the markets with with a bit of a backflip or a bit of a 180, if you will? But also, what does this say potentially about the rest of the world? Has the market priced in rate cuts for the rest of the world too quickly and an end to the inflation impulse across the rest of the world too quickly as well? And this is telling us that maybe uh, the RBNZ is again leading uh, the, the charge once more uh, and that we could start to see uh, more rate hikes being priced into other uh, key uh, for other key central banks going forward as well which would completely throw out the existing yeah. narratives the rbnz yeah. could be very good for this week it could be a very key indicator of what's to come all right we'll leave it there for now carl rotter from capital.com appreciate your time as always talk soon thank you more ticker <laughs> right after this you're watching ticker we'll have more in just a few minutes 